Welcome back, folks. Thanks for joining in. Uh, This is Dan with the podcast, and uh, we are talking about jobs and jobs that uh, I had as a kid, starting out, I guess, way back, good Lord, when I was 11 years old, I had a job that was uh, working in a field. It wasn't the best job in the world, but back when I was a kid, we, of course, we were very poor. Um, we were raised very poor. We didn't have a whole lot of things. We didn't have food in the house, things like that. So a job that, you know, wasn't necessarily the, the greatest job in the world, um, you know, paid money. And so anything was better than nothing. And there wasn't a whole lot of jobs available back in those days. And we're talking the late 70s, early 80s, very early 80s. And uh, anyway, this job was at Ray's Nursery in uh, Sanderson, Florida. And it was was a tough job. Uh, I was out in the field picking up plants and plants that were in plastic containers and we would load them on the trucks and we would pick the uh, weeds out of them. And you know, we were out in the middle of the sun. This was North Florida and it was hot. It was in the middle of summer. And um, so it was a tough job. I made $3.35 an hour. And uh, I was four, I was actually 13 when I did this job. I was 11 when I when I started mowing yards. wasn't wasn't real successful with the mowing of yards, <clears throat> but I could stretch a dollar. And uh, working has always been something that I've done since I can remember. Uh, you know, with my dad, it was plumbing growing up. My dad was a plumber, and uh, we repaired, and you know, we we did new jobs and new homes and things like that but for the most part our bread and butter so to speak was um was uh repairing you know people that had busted pipes and things like that and you know we we made our money like that but when i became full employed i'd say i started paying taxes because that's the difference um I was 13 years old. I was also in the ninth grade. I was a little ninth grader, about 170 pounds soaking wet, maybe on a good day. Um, and I worked because I had to. I worked because, uh, you know, I was hungry at times and I didn't want to go without food. And, and I needed clothes for school and things like that. But anyway, um, it was tough. It was, you know, it was hard, but um, I learned. I learned a very valuable lesson. I learned that. Um, you know, you got to take care of yourself. You got to look after yourself because, you know, people aren't going to take care of you. And my parents certainly didn't do that. You know, they tried. They did the best they could, I'm sure, uh, with what they had emotionally, mentally, and physically, and resourcefully, and educationally, I should say. Um, but for the most part, um, I, I loved I loved the, um, the result of working. The result of working was, to me, um, better than anything because I got paid. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I started, you know, um, contributing to my um, retirement, which was my IRS, you know, my um, Social Security. And so I was real happy that I was able to do that. Um, Didn't realize how important it would be to me one day, but, um, you know, in, in America, you you pay taxes and then you have a, what's called a social security. It's for you when you retire. 
I think I can retire around 63, which, believe it or not, is seven years from now, which is kind of crazy to think about. But at any rate, um, <clears throat> um, I was I was glad to work. It was tough. It was hard. I didn't like it, but it taught me a lot of lessons. And um, the number one lesson was that uh, I could I could get things. You know, I could buy things. I, I became a consumer. But it was hard. It was tough. I did it for a summer. I worked at the shipyard one time, uh, the shipyards um, in Jacksonville, Florida, and uh, that was tough. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't, it wasn't hard work. It was grimy work, and um, it was fun because I was, you know, I was a young kid, and I worked at a gas station in high school, uh, pumping gas and washing windows and. Um, <coughs> Uh, checking oil, changing oil, changing tires. We did a lot of things um, back in the day when, when gas stations were service stations. They weren't really gas stations. Uh, they were called gas stations, but they, a lot of people who owned them and offered the service of checking your tires and your oil and washing your windshield and you know pumping your gas for you. That was a service station, so it was a service that was offered. Anyway, I worked there during high school, loved that job. That was one of my favorite jobs when I was a kid was working at the... Um, at the uh, service station. I worked at um, the 121 uh, Chevron. Uh, it was there in McClenney, Florida, where I grew up, and it was right along I-10 and um, 121. And everybody came through the Chevron station, it seemed like, you know, because it was right there at I-10, so we got a lot of people from the, from the, from the uh, interstate. We also got a lot of people that would go to the Georgia-Florida games because they would take 121 South towards Gainesville to, to go to the um, uh, to the swamp where the stadium was at the University of Florida. And um, seems like I worked at Richards. Richard was the owner of the station. Uh, people called it Richards or they called it the Chevron station. It was, it was interchangeable, didn't really matter. Everybody knew where it was. And when you grow up in a small town, especially where I grew up in, um, you use landmarks to describe where you are, where someone needs to go or meet you, or, you know, if you know where, you know, Richard's gas station is, or if you know where Richard's is, or the Chevron, if you keep going down that way on the left-hand side past the towers, you know, there's a road, and that's down that road's where I live, I'm third house, yeah, I mean, it's just, it was something like that. It was kind of like if you knew where G&H was downtown, G&H parking lot, you could you could say, hey, I'll meet you at the GNH parking lot, or we're across the street from the GNH. That's just the way it was growing up. Everybody, everybody who grew up there, who knew that area, who lived there for any length of time at all, knew the major landmarks, and that's how we communicated one with one another. We didn't have cell phones back then, so we couldn't say, you know, hey, I'm on my way, and I'm at such and such. Put this address in your cell phone and meet me there. No, it was, you know, you called them at the house and you said, hey, I'm going to be at the, you know, GNH, or I'm going to be across the street from the old jail, and you know, or whatever, you know, I mean, it was just the way we communicated back then. Things were simpler, you know, and uh, you got in your vehicle and you drove there and you waited till they got there. And if they didn't show up, you, you know, you found a pay phone and maybe tried to call them again or, or you just said, hey, you know, they're just not going to make it. It wasn't like we could check on each other like they do today. But um, I loved working at the Chevron station. Now, there was a, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, juke joint, we called them back in the day, but it was a bar. Next door, it's called the 121 Club. It had been there for as long as I was, golly, as long as I'd lived in McClinney or in Baker County. The 121 Club was well known. It was a bad, bad place. 
Uh, it had a history of, of knife fights and cuts and murders and things like that. Not necessarily murders, but um, I think people, you know, had to be taken to the hospital and stuff. It was a rough place. And it was your typical, you know, bar of the 70s, you know, uh, a lot of smoke-filled rooms, you know, uh, loose women with you know, cheap makeup on and big hair and <coughs> nasty men cheating on their wives or running around on their girlfriends or whatever. Um, but it was right next door to the Chevron station. So when the drunks would get out of the, of the 121 club, they would sometimes stop in the Chevron station to get gas. Um, we didn't sell things like cigarettes and beer and stuff like that. We didn't have a store. It was literally just gas. And um, so uh, we had a bay where we did, you know, oil changes and tire changes and things like that. But for the most part, it wasn't like people would stop in to get a pack of cigarettes or something. We probably would have had a lot more people had we done that. I'm glad we didn't look them back now in retrospect. But we had a guy come up in a Jeep one time. He came straight from the club. It was literally next door to the station. I got... I, I saw him when he left, and he was just all over the road, and he pulled up in the full-service aisle. We had two aisles where you could pull up at the gas station, <clears throat> and um, you'd pump his gas. It was called the full-service aisle, where we would come out, pump your gas, wash your windshield, stuff like that. And um, he pulled up on the ramp. Uh, the gas pumps were raised up about six to eight inches off the ground on a concrete slab, and this guy pulled right up in it and, and, and almost hit the um, the gas pump. And it freaked me out. And he didn't even know. He was so drunk. He was passed out behind the wheel. And um, he's like, fill it up. And it was a Jeep. I'll never forget it. And um, so I filled it up. And it uh, didn't take much. Because back then, gas was, you know, good Lord. Gas was probably 79 cents, 89 cents a gallon. Maybe it was cheap. <laughs> and... Um, he handed me a 20, which was a big bill back then, you know, and um, I got him some change. I had change in my pocket and everything, and so I got him some change, and, and um, he's like, here, just just keep it, you know, and it was a big tip, and I'm, I knew the guy was drunk, so I'm trying to put it in his pocket, you know, because I didn't want him later to say, oh, you took advantage of me, you know, and I was an honest fella. I really was, um, and uh, I remember he's like, no, 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 you keep it, and he kind of threw it at me, and it fell on the ground and everything, and so he drove off. Uh, barely missing the pump as he drove off, and I'm just thinking, oh my goodness gracious, this guy's going to roll out in the middle of, of traffic, which, you know, we didn't really have traffic back then, but, you know, I'm afraid he was going to hurt somebody. But um, that was that was a really cool time. And, and then we had uh, a, lot of, a lot of kids had come by, and they would steal our toilet paper out of the bathroom, and they would go toilet paper someone's house. Now, if you're not familiar with toilet paper in somebody's house, it's when you basically throw toilet paper in their tree and then it falls down and you grab it and you throw it again and you keep throwing it. It's kind of like decorating a Christmas tree. And um, it's, it's a pain in the you-know-what to clean toilet paper out of your trees, especially after it rains. And it seemed like it was always raining in North Florida at some point during the summer when these crazy kids would do that. But they would do that and they would also egg people's houses, literally throw eggs at their houses. And um, I remember, wow, if you can hear that, these are motorcycles going past me. They are flying. They're probably doing 100 miles an hour. But anyway, um, Lord have mercy, protect them. Anyway, um, 
it was uh, it was always something interesting at the Chevron station. You know, we we had a, a radio in the in the garage, and you could play it really loud. And you know, I'd listen to Casey Kasem and the Countdown on Sunday mornings, and um, and it was cold. Back in those days, it seems like it was colder in the fall and the winter than it was these days. I don't know why, but it, you know, some people might blame global warming. It might be global warming. Who knows? I don't really care. But when I was a kid, it was cold, and I was you know I didn't have all this extra padding to keep me warm and uh, I remember about freezing my tail off sitting in the office with the heater going trying to stay warm and then a car would pull up and I'd be so mad because a car would pull up but Sunday mornings in the fall was great I mean the sky was crystal clear uh, that dark really pretty blue and uh, you know it was it was probably a 72 constant 70 72 degrees outside no humidity which if you live in Florida you know humidity is is like the killer it just it makes everything worse and so I remember uh, it was just it was a feeling being in the fall and you know you didn't mind really going out and you know working hard and you know cleaning their windshields and checking their tires because you know you, you didn't sweat as much you didn't sweat at all hardly really and there was a cool breeze and it just felt good and Sundays were laid back everybody was in church you know and um, you, you didn't you didn't really pump much gas most of the people coming off the interstate but for the most part we'd listen to or I would I was the only one there it'd be Casey Kasem and the countdown you know and it was every Sunday and there was this one particular Sunday, and um, I remember listening, and it was a call-in. And if you're not familiar with the Casey Kasem, um, he was a radio broadcaster that would do a show. It was pretty popular. Um, anyway, he would do a show, and he would count down the greatest hits down to, I don't know if it was 10 or 20, but it was a, it was a long list because the, the show was pretty long. But, you know, he'd, he'd take people's calls, and... Uh, and it was pre-recorded, of course, and, you know, it was always some sort of sad, sap, sappy story to go along with it. And they'd say, you know, can you play this song for, you know, my best friend who died? And can you play this song for me and my dad? I miss my dad. You know, stuff like that. It Pull at your heartstrings. Well, I was I was a big old crybaby, always have been. And uh, I remember one Sunday I was sitting there and I heard Casey Kasem and it said, this is Casey Kasem counting down the hits and he, he, then he said, um, I got an interesting call. And the call was this this guy. And he said, you know, Casey, I wonder if um, you could play a song for me. And he said, um, you know, my dad and I were, we never really got along. And, um, you know, and, and I moved away and went to college. And I barely talked to him. And um, I got a call the other day from my mom that, you know, my dad had passed away and I wasn't there. And he said, on the way to, to the hospital, he said, I... Uh, I just got to thinking about all the times my dad and I would argue, and <clears throat> he wasn't a bad guy. It's just that I didn't, I was young and impetuous, and, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really like my dad much, but then I realized <clears throat> after he was gone, you know, I, I could never say I'm sorry. I could never make things up for him, and I could never tell him how much I appreciated him, and um, <clears throat> he said, I wonder if you would play a song for me. Um, for my dad, uh, you know, just to kind of let him know if he can hear it that, you know, I do love him and I'm sorry that we didn't get along. And he played this song by Mike and the Mechanics, In the Living Years. Now, let me just tell you, after that little story was told, I'm, I'm sitting there pumping gas back of a car because that's where the gas tanks were in the back of the car, underneath the tag. You know, you'd pull the tag down and the gas cap would be there. And I'm, I'm tearing up listening to this because I can hear it from the bass. 
Um, and I can hear this 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 song, and then of course Casey Kasem says, you know, Michael, this song's for you. And it was in in the Living Years by Mike and the Mechanics, and it started playing, you know, and it's oh my gosh, I was just squalling listening to that song. I mean, I was crying, and I went inside, and I just stood there in the bay, and I listened to it, and it got to that to the to the last verse where he says, I wasn't there that evening when my father passed away. I didn't get to tell him all the things I had to say. I think I caught a spirit in my newborn son's ear. Um, anyway, it goes on to say some other things. I'd have to sing it, and I'm sure you don't want me to do that. But anyway, oh my goodness gracious. I was, I was just bawling like a big old baby. I was crying right there in the bay, hoping nobody pulled up so I could just enjoy that moment. And so ever since then, that song, if it's played on the radio or I hear it somewhere, it will trigger me. And I will tear up and start crying. <clears throat> and I know I'm just a big old baby. And the older I get, the more the more I don't mind crying so much as I get older. Because, uh, you know, as you get older, you don't really care a lot <laughs> about a lot of things. But anyway, um, that was one of the stories at the um, Chevron station that, you know, I was there for, golly, four years, uh, three or four years of my high school. And um, I loved it. I loved it. I, I think I even worked there a little bit afterwards. But... Being in high school was fun because, you know, I was a typical boy, you know. Um, my buddy Chuck and Joey um, and Steve, we all kind of worked at the gas station together. Different shifts, different times, you know. But um, Chuck and I really worked at the gas station probably more than, than Steve and Joey. Joey Joey was the crazy one I told you about that, that put a, a blue light in his car and a siren under his hood and he was not a cop I'm just gonna tell you Joey was far from a police officer would have never ever made it as a police officer he was he was crazy as a sprayed roach honest to God he was crazy as a run over dog but he was fun and he was my friend he was Joey and um, anyway Joey and Chuck and mostly Joey and Chuck and I not so much Steve I've, I've included Steve but I think that it was very rare that Steve was there but definitely Joey and Chuck we were the three amigos and um, we were chasing girls all the time. But, you know, the girls in, in, in our little town, you know, we, we wanted to go outside of town. We wanted to go to Jacksonville. Jacksonville was a big city. And, you know, we, we knew the girls were, there was a plentiful girls in, in Jacksonville. So we always went looking for girls in Jacksonville. Where we were, we were between, we were older than 18, but we were not old enough to drink or go in the bars. So we were sort of in a, in a, in a limbo area of, social events and places to to meet girls so we had two places that we we could always meet girls that was the skating rink which I know that tells you my age Um, there was a skating rink in um, in Orange Park and there was one uh, in Jacksonville off of Lane Avenue and um, we would go to one or the other and there was also (laughs) oh my god I'm remembering all this there's also um, a, a putt-putt um, off of Normandy, uh, Normandy Boulevard, and that was in Jacksonville, too. And so we would go to putt-putt. You know, we'd try them all, really. Um, and we'd always be so, well, uh, let me back up. Let me rephrase that. I was never as successful as my buddy Chuck. Now, Chuck had a way about him. He had blonde hair and blue eyes, and he was so full of himself. And uh, Chuck was our leader, unfortunately. And... Uh, Chuck was, um, he was your typical type A personality, and uh, I wasn't. I wasn't type A. I was just 
I was a follower. I wasn't a leader. Um, I was the motivator, but I wasn't the, the leader. And Chuck, we always did what Chuck said. So I don't know how that worked out or how, I guess it was the dynamics of the friendship. And looking back now, we didn't really have a friendship. Chuck couldn't have friends. Chuck was incapable really of, of having friends and keeping friends. He just had influence because he was Chuck. And uh, anyway, so we would go to the skating rink. And I remember one, one night we went to the skating rink and we met up with this really, really attractive um, girl. And of course, Chuck always got the, the pretty girls and what was left over, it was, it was Joey and I. And um, this girl was beautiful, but she had a friend who was like a little bowling ball. And um, she was a big girl. And, and I know I'm probably sounding terrible, but I'm just telling you, I was a, I was a teenager. You know, well, I was a teenager. I was, um, yeah, I might have been a teenager. I, I don't remember when this was, but sometime between my teen years and my, my late teens or early 20s, I'm not really sure. It had to, be, had to be teens and late teens because I was with Missy when I got older. So anyway, um, this girl, she was not very attractive. Um, I was not interested in her at all, and neither was Joey. And we kind of huddled up together, and I said, look, I don't want the fat girl. And Joey said, I don't either. And I know this sounds terrible. Y'all just have to forgive me. I'm just telling you what it was like when I was a teenager, okay? We were not good people back then. We were, we were on the hunt. We, we didn't consider other people's feelings. We were selfish. We were typical teenagers and typical teenage boys. So judge me if you will, but I'm just telling you the truth. We, um, I said, I don't want the big girl. And he said, I don't want her either. And so anyway, we end up back at this other girl's mom and daddy's house, which I know, again, is terrible. Um, so Chuck and her, you know, they go to the bedroom and they're doing their thing, you know, and Joey and I are tired because it's, it's probably, you know, 12, one o'clock in the morning by now, you know, we've, we've, we've shut everything down. Well, <clears throat> this girl's mom and daddy were in North Carolina they were on vacation and she stayed behind. Now she was, she was adult. She was over 18 years old. We were, you know, we were adults, but we were just, we were kids. But anyway, um, anyway, Chuck and her in there doing their thing. Joey, Joey found the couch and was asleep. I laid down on the bed and one of the beds in the bedroom, I was just going to sleep. I was tired. And I feel this really nice, you know, hand on my head and stroking my hair and and I'm laying there, and there's this big old girl. Now, y'all, I'm just going to tell you. She got into a teddy, uh, some kind of, I don't know what in the world, but anyway, this girl got into a teddy. I mean, looked like she slaughtered a cheetah or something and skinned it. And she is on the bed, laying across the bed, and between her and the good Lord, she just got a little bit of clothes on. And she had more rolls than the Michelin man. And she's stroking my head and my face. And I wake up and it feels so good. <laughs> and I look up at this girl. And I was like, oh my God, no. <laughs> and I mean, she is doing everything she can to try to get me interested in her. And I was just like, no, this is not going to happen. And so I wiggle out, and she's very persistent, I'll just tell you. <clears throat> and I wiggle out, and I go in there, and Joey's asleep on the couch. I said, Joey, we got to go. We got we, we to go now. Well, Chuck was, Chuck or Joey was driving. I don't remember. I never had a car. And so I, they, Joey and I said, let's go get Chuck. So we went in the bedroom, crawled on our hands and knees in this bedroom, right? 
And, of course, you know, we hear the action going on with Chuck and this girl. And I reach up and grab his foot. And he yells out, what the heck? You know, and I said, Chuck, we got to go. And he's like, man, get out of here. Get out of here. And I'm like, dude, we got to go. It's, I'm tired. I'm Joey's tired. Let's go. And, and then the big girl comes in and she's like, come on back in the bedroom. <laughs> and I said, I'm tired. I'm really sleepy. We got to go. So anyway, we, we kept aggravating Chuck till finally he said, okay. And he left. And I know he wasn't real happy about leaving. But anyway, we left. And that was one crazy night. Um, I mean, we had some crazy stuff that I'd be embarrassed to tell you about. But we were typical kids. But um, I remember one time working at the Chevron station. Um, and I might have shared this story with you before, but I'll share it again. Um, we, were, we were at the um, Chevron station, or I was. And it was, a, I think it was a Sunday or something. It was laid back. And. Um, I was going to clean the bathrooms because I would go and check the bathrooms, you know, several times during the shift because people would dirty up the bathrooms and, you know, we, Richard wanted to clean and it stayed clean. And so anyway, I'm in the bathroom and I noticed this big old thick black wallet, uh, leather wallet sitting up on the sink and I'm thinking, oh no, and nobody's in there. So of course I grab it, put it in my back pocket, you know, keep it safe. And, and I'm thinking, well, who, whoever whoever it belongs to and I look through it and I noticed the name in there and the driver's license and I'm like we're going to get that we're going to we're going to get this guy's wallet back to him you know I'll hold it till he gets here or, or we'll mail it to him or something you know I, I couldn't I mean honest to God as God is my witness as terrible as a person that I probably was back then um, I, um, I I couldn't see taking the man's wallet I would never do something like that ever and so um, my first reaction was let's get it back to the guy and so that was what I wanted to do and anyway so I, I left the bathroom um, went to the office and I noticed this car come down the uh, viaduct over I-10 and he come in I mean squealing tires coming in and I thought mm -hmm, that's his wallet and it was a it was a uh, he looked like a lawyer I mean he had a suit on and tie and everything and you know back then lawyers were sort of demigods and um, he come barreling through there and he jumped out of his car left his door open run into the into the uh, bathroom and I come moseying about and he comes to me he's got this real deer in the headlight panic look you know and because it was a ton of cash in there I forget how, how much money was in there but it was a lot more than than I had and um, he said I don't I, I, I've lost my wallet I think I left it in the bathroom did you find it and he was looking at me and I could tell that his face was like I know this guy probably has it and that I'm never going to see it again. And he goes, listen, I just want my credit cards and my ID out of there. That's all. He said, uh, I don't really have to have the money. No questions asked. And I said, here you go. And I reached my back pocket and I hand it to him. And the first thing he does, he opens it up and he looks where the money is and it's just chock full of money. And he said, you didn't keep the money? And I said, no, why would, it's not mine. Why would I keep the money? And he just looked at me and he said, I can't believe you didn't take the money. And I said, but why would I do that? It's it's not my it's not my money. It's not wasn't mine. It was yours. And he said, Wow. He said, I've never met anybody like that. And I said, Really? I said, I'm sorry, you know, that you've never met someone like that. And he reached in there. He pulled out a twenty dollar bill. And that was a let me just tell y'all that was like a hundred bucks today. That was a lot of money. And he handed it to me. And I'm like, No, 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 no. That's your money. You keep it. He's like, no, I want to give you a reward. And I said, look, I appreciate it. I would love to take it. But I said, honestly, I just did what I was supposed to do. And he said, can I give you something? And I said, nope. I said, I appreciate it. He goes, I can't believe that there are people like you in this world. 
And I thought, my gosh, you know, this guy definitely must be an attorney because he uh, he doesn't trust anybody. <clears throat> and um, it was just kind of sad, really, looking back on it, you know, that he had never run into anybody that, you know, would return a wallet. And I, I guess, I don't know, I mean, growing up in the South and, and growing up with my dad and, and just, you know, being taught all my life that, you know, um, it's, it's, it's not good to keep anything that doesn't belong to you. It just didn't seem like the right thing to do. I couldn't do that. So anyway, we, um, I gave it to him and he just, just looked at me like he just couldn't believe it. And he kind of walked away slowly and he looked back at me in the car and he drove off. And I never, I, I never saw that guy again, but I never forgot that I never forgot that, you know, because it was just, it was just who I was. It was my DNA. It was, it was, you know, I'm not that kind of person. I can never keep something that I know belongs to somebody else. Anyway, there was another night. Oh my gosh, there was, oh wow, I got to tell you this story. This is crazy. Oh man, I'm going into 28 minutes. This is kind of long. Um, all right, I'll tell you this last story and then I'll, and then I'll, then I'll quit. Um, no, actually I'm going to, it's too long. 29 minutes is a long time. So, um, hope you enjoyed this. This was a little bit of my youth, a little bit of my working years uh, at the Chevron station. Uh, anyway, hope you enjoyed it. You guys have a great day and enjoy the rest of the weekend.